Can we pray? And we're going to jump into the word together. Jesus, I'm grateful for your nearness. Lord, and I'm, I'm reminded of what you told us in John 14. You said, my peace I give to you. And you said, I don't give as the world gives. You told us you were going to give us a peace that remained, that endured, and that it was going to be something to do with the deposit of your Holy Spirit. God, as I have prepared this morning, there is a sense in my heart, in my mind, that for some of us, Lord God, our peace is under attack. And so we're going to talk this morning about why peace came, but what we can do to secure our peace. So I ask, Lord God, that you would open our ears to hear. Jesus, you would give me the words to communicate what you want communicated to your church, that we might be a people who live in victory, walk in freedom, and in the peace that you purchased with your blood at Calvary. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Advent season. Advent, I haven't been able to preach in a while. I'm going to try to like dial myself back, but I'm feeling pretty good. I'm like 85%. I started my physical therapy, so um, yeah, God is good. Thank you for praying. Uh, Wendy's got a little dart gun, and she's just going to like, when I get carried away, like knock it off. Um, so Advent, it's Advent season, and you probably know that Advent means the arrival, and not just any kind of arrival. Advent comes from a Latin word that had to do with the arrival of a king. And Israel had been waiting for thousands of years for their king to arrive. So however he was announced, however his arrival was heralded, was probably going to be a big deal. And you know the story. There's some shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night outside of Bethlehem. And Luke 2 says, Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with an angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men, that's mankind, on whom his favor rests. So these, these shepherds are just chilling with their sheep at night. Suddenly one big angel shows up and then a ton of angels and they say, listen, there is a world-changing event that is taking place right now that will bring glory to God. It'll bring peace to mankind and it's happening because of the kindness of God. That's what it means when it says on whom his favor rests. And the word peace for the people of Israel was a very important word. Now, Luke is writing in Greek, but he's writing in Greek about this, this Hebrew concept of shalom. And we don't have a single word in English that can fully capture the concept of shalom, the, the Hebrew word for peace. Shalom means, it means wholeness. It means, it has to do with unity or harmony. There's an element that speaks of safety or security. It's, it's what happens when everything is in its right place, working the right way. So Jesus was coming to put a disordered world back to order, to bring shalom, to make it whole again. And part of the way he was going about that, he tells his disciples as he's older, is he was going to be destroying the works of the evil one. Every place the evil one came to bring disorder, Jesus was coming to bring it back into order, to bring shalom to bear. Shalom has to do with more than just the absence of conflict. It has more to do with, with that sense of everything being rightly ordered. In the Garden of Eden, they experienced shalom. And Jesus came, he said, that we might experience shalom on, again, that we, we could become in Christ who we were always meant to be. Peace on earth. Jesus came to bring shalom here when Jesus says, my peace I give to you, he's not speaking of an in, indeterminate time in the future. He's saying peace is meant to be part of the 
lived experience of the people of God. I want you to be whole in your mind, in your body, and in your spirit. He came bringing the kingdom of God, bringing shalom. But sometimes our peace comes under attack. Sometimes maybe our peace isn't under attack, but, but we, we live in a place where, where people are anxious, where they're unsettled, and then we are the ones to whom Jesus says, now you are going to bring the kingdom, you are going to bring the shalom, you are going to bring the peace of God. As we read scripture, we learn that you and I, we are agents of the arrival of peace. And this is very important because we are also agents when peace becomes threatened. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning, which may seem like a very non-Advent, non-Christmas message. But Jesus said he showed up to bring peace. But you and I, as we live out our experience, know from time to time we have to fight to maintain peace. Is that right? Yeah. So I want to I want to show you how Jesus does this, how he brings the kingdom to bear, because he's our example. So we're going to look in Mark chapter 4 about the story of Jesus calming the storm. Mark 4, verses 35 through 41, they, they tell a story within a story. So in the first part of Mark chapter 4, Jesus has been teaching all day from a boat on the shore of Galilee. He's in the boat slightly offshore, and it, it works like a, like a natural amplification. And he's teaching specifically about the kingdom of God. And then he decides he needs to cross over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. We find in order to free a man who has been possessed, Scripture says, by a thousand demons. This man is waiting for Jesus on the opposite shore. I assume, it's not written into the text, but I assume the man has called out to God for help because Jesus makes the point elsewhere that he, he only goes where the Father tells him to go. In other words, Jesus responds to the Father's direction, so we can assume that the Father is directing Jesus to stop doing what he's doing here and go across to the other side to bring shalom to the man who was waiting there. So Jesus finishes teaching, doesn't even get out of the boat. We'll see. He just looks at the disciples. He's like, start paddling. We're going across. Mark 4.35. So Jesus has been teaching all day in the boat. That day, it says, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, he rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you still so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. About eight years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Israel and I was standing in the evening on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. This is what the Sea of Galilee looks like in the evening. The Sea of Galilee is 13 miles long, it's 7 miles wide, and it's 680 feet below sea level. It's got steep mountains to the east, and then there are hills and gorges that are over to the west. And the prevailing winds, we know all about prevailing winds in Lompoc, do we not? The prevailing winds on the Sea of Galilee are from the west to the east. But occasionally, very rarely, the direction of the wind will reverse, and it comes, it blows in from the, from the east to the west, coming over the hot deserts, and it produces a gale, like they come up out of nowhere. 
and the wind begins to blow so powerfully that it can kick up 20-foot-tall waves with very little notice. So Jesus and the disciples are in a boat. Not far from where I took this picture, I, I went to a museum, and in this museum they, they had found a boat. Uh, the Sea of Galilee had receded. They found a fisherman boat from the time of Christ. And so Jesus, the boat he was in would have been like 25 feet long, about seven and a half feet wide. Not very big. Powered by oars and a sail. It could hold up to about 15 passengers, maybe maybe five crew. Probably looks something like this. They kind of tried to go, okay, that's probably. Those of us who've watched The Chosen, we know all about Jesus' boats, right? So Jesus and his disciples are in a boat like this. A boat that is built for travel on a calm lake. That's what the Sea of Galilee is. It is not. The Jews were not ocean-going people. Uh, they left that to the Phoenicians. It's not built for weather like this, and the waves are nearly as high at 20 feet as the boat is long. Waves are breaking over the boat. It is swamping. They are in danger of sinking and drowning. My grandparents, back in the 80s, sailed around the world on their boat called the Fat Duck because from the back, it looked like a fat duck. And they went out of Dana Point Marina and went over to Hawaii as their first port of call. And between Dana Point and Hawaii, they encountered Hurricane Iwa. And Hurricane Iwa was blowing with such force that my grandparents in this 38-foot boat are, are navigating 30-foot seas. And so my grandpa told me that as they went down into the swells, the, size, the, the height of the wave was above his mast. And my, my Catholic grandpa suddenly discovered the power of prayer. I mean, he, he couldn't see shore. I mean, wind is in his face. The water is in his face. Waves are coming into the boat. And he is afraid for his life. So he says to God, he says, listen, if you get me through this, I will go to Mass every single day of my life. Because he was at a place where he knew he could not, in his own strength, survive this storm. He and his crew were going down. And God spared him. And they made it through, and true to his word, he went to Mass every day of his life. But I talked to my grandpa about this, and, and as, as, a, as a sailor, you're fighting to stay alive. As a passenger, you're just holding on for dear life, and, and you, you are, you're afraid that, that you're going over, you're going under. So I read this story with the disciples with a great amount of empathy because I've had a family member think that they were going down in a storm. And so they're experiencing all the same things my grandparents are experiencing, fear, panic, uh, we're overwhelmed, we don't know what to do, and the disciples turn around. I, it doesn't tell us who it is. It's probably Peter, because Peter's always doing something weird. Like everybody else is freaking out. Peter turns around, he turns around to look at Jesus, and he doesn't see what he expects to see. Jesus isn't caught up in their drama. He's not caught up in their very real fear. He is asleep in the back. Waves as tall as the mast. I mean, you turn on a light in my bedroom and I can't stay asleep. Like you flush the toilet and upstairs and I wake up. Jesus is out. He is asleep. But I don't think it's just because it's been a really long day and he's tired. I think there's something more going on because he is evidently, clearly at peace in the face of this storm. What he is experiencing, the wind, the waves, the water, the, the boat getting wallowing in the swells, it, it is not impacting his sense of well-being one iota. Why not? 
Why would Jesus not be experiencing the same fear that the disciples were? Because the Father had sent him across the sea to minister to a man who was waiting for him. And because Jesus was living in obedience to the Father, he knew that he was going to get exactly where the Father was sending him. So he had a sense of confidence that he was going to be arriving safely. He didn't look at his disciples and say, let's try to go across. He didn't say, hey, let's race the wind, let's race the storm, let's, let's hope the weather holds. He looked at him and said, let's go. And the moment Jesus said, let's go, we're going across the sea, their safety was secured. Jesus is on a mission. He is on a mission to bring the kingdom of God to earth. He is bringing shalom to a man who is tormented by thousands, a thousand demons. And there is a counter mission. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. There is a counter mission underway that is trying to keep Jesus from fulfilling his God-given assignment. In the same way, there is a counter mission that is undertaken to compromise or keep you from fulfilling your God-given assignment to bring shalom, to bring the kingdom of God wherever it is that God has planted you. Now, that's not scary. That's just fact. Because what we see in Jesus' exchange is there is a serious difference in the power differential between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. What you see as soon as Jesus gets to the other side of the Sea of Galilee is that the devil, the kingdom of darkness, is afraid of Jesus. The first thing out of their mouth is we know who you are. Why have you come to torment us before the appointed time? We know that we are powerless before you. We know that your authority is greater than ours. We know that when you command us to leave this man, we have to. Why are you here? They understand his assignment is to undo the works of the evil one. And they're like, you're early. It's not time yet. They never look at him and go, we're not leaving. They just say, why are you here already? The devil understands, as I read this story, he understands the inevitability of his defeat. He is trying to keep Jesus from arriving. If Jesus arrives, it's game over. This storm that Jesus is in, I will show you, is not a natural storm. It is not simply the byproduct of winds blowing off of the hot desert and hitting the surface of the water. This is a supernatural storm. We see it in how Jesus addresses the situation. I'm going to talk to you more about that in just a second. But here's what I want you to catch. Because you ever find yourself in a storm and go, what the heck did I do to get here? Like, God, are you mad at me? What did I do wrong? Anybody? Just me? I'm good if it's just me. That's okay. But what I want you to see is they are not in a storm because they are somehow outside of God's will. They are in a storm specifically because they are in the center of God's will. Sometimes, church, if the devil isn't hitting you head on, you're probably both going in the same direction. Did you hear me? Want me to say it again? Sometimes if the devil's not hitting you head on, there's a chance you're both going in the same direction. But man, the minute you become a threat to him, he's like, 
game on. I'm sending a storm. Here come the wind. Here come the waves. It's okay. You know why? I got Jesus in my boat. Look at what Jesus does. Now, I'm going to skip that. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. My observation is that when people, often when people find themselves in in highly agitating circumstances, they react in one of two ways. They panic or they pass out. I, I so desperately wanted to show you, have you seen those slingshot videos? The rides of the guys like on TikTok or Instagram reels and, and they get launched and they, they alternate between passing out and screaming. I really wanted to show you one of those, but, but there's, it turns out there's a third thing they all do, which is cuss. Um, so I couldn't show you that. But they, if you watch them, they, there's this screaming and abject fear and then just, I'm gone, nothing's happening. And I find very often when people experience challenge to their own peace, they do the same thing. There is either this tendency, I'm going to go to bed and just not get up. Uh, Depression's going to sink in. I'm just going to go sleep this off. I'm going to pretend I'm not going to answer my phone. I'm going to watch TV. I'm going to do whatever I, whatever I does, I do to pretend the world is, is fine and nothing's happening. Or they panic. They just freak out and we start projecting what the world's going to look like in a week, two weeks, four weeks. Right, you know, the boss says, "Hey, things are a little slow at work." And we're like, "Oh my gosh, I'm gonna lose my 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 car, my house, my dog. I'm gonna get laid off, and everything's in." And all they mean is, "I'm gonna give you a day off on furlough." I mean, you know what I'm talking about? We we project these things. The opposite of peace is not conflict. The opposite of peace is fear. Because fear robs you of your ability to process information rationally, and we begin to evaluate our surroundings in a way that leads to irrational conclusions. Things that seem, things that are not true suddenly seem to look true. Watch how this happens with the disciples. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Granted, bit of a surprise. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? What is happening here? Fear is making the disciples call into question God's character. Disciples, fear makes us call into question God's character. That's your, that's your fill-in if you're looking for it. What am I talking about? Character. You don't care. God, don't you see what's happening? You do, but you don't care. You're not good. You don't tell the truth. You said we were going to be okay. You said we were going across, and now I'm finding myself in the middle of the storm Oh my gosh, I'm going to die, and you don't care. You're just sleeping. Fear also makes us call into question God's ability. God, this storm is going to overcome us. Not only are you not good, you can't keep us safe. We have encountered something bigger than you are. Now, hours before, on the, as, as Jesus is talking to people on the, the, the shore, The disciples never would have thought this. They never would have felt this way. They would have thought, isn't this awesome? We've got front row seats. Jesus loves us. Jesus esteems us. Everything is wonderful. But but fear robs you both of peace and perspective. They're not seeing things clearly. They seem to have forgotten that Jesus said, we're going across. And what Jesus says is going to be is going to actually 
happen. We just get fixated and all we see is whatever it is that we're afraid of. And even when they see Jesus, they don't like how they see him. A rational response would have been, oh, Jesus is sleeping. I guess we're good. God doesn't seem to be too worried. I think we're going to be okay. Were they ever in danger of drowning? No. Because Jesus said we're going across. Did it appear to them that they were in mortal danger? Yeah, sure did. But they weren't. I told you it was a supernatural storm, that there was something happening in the spiritual realm, that this wasn't just natural. This is something that instigate, was instigated by the kingdom of darkness. How can we tell? How can we tell if we are in a storm that is just a natural, normal, hey, sometimes life is hard, or if there is an underlying spiritual dynamic going on? Here's how it works for me. I know I am in a supernatural storm when it produces an unnatural response in me. When there is not a one-to-one correlation between my experience and my response. It's natural to fear the waves. It's natural even to think that I might drown, but it is not natural to think it means that God doesn't care. I have found that when I'm dealing with the kingdom of darkness, they most often present themselves by fanning into flame a naturally occurring emotion. Fear is natural. Fear is normal. If I was in a boat, the waves were coming over, I was afraid I might die, I'd probably get scared. But when it gets accelerated to such a degree that they are now making statements about the character of God, the goodness of God, something is agitating them to a greater degree. Do you understand what I'm saying? So one of the things I look for is, is what I am feeling, or if I'm talking to someone else, if, is what they are feeling, does that seem to me to be out of line with the stimulus that is creating this response? And if it is, if it seems unnaturally large in their response, then I'm asking the Holy Spirit, is there something bigger going on here than just cause and effect? And Lord, if there is something going on here that is larger than just cause and effect, what am I to do about it? And Jesus shows us what we are to do about it, which also is what tells us this is a supernatural storm. Verse 39, he got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, it was completely calm. And then he speaks to his disciples. So I believe the devil is trying to push Jesus back from the eastern shore. I believe that there is an unseen battle that is taking place between the forces of darkness who want this man to remain in bondage and the forces of the kingdom of God who are moving to bring shalom, to bring him into freedom. Because Jesus rebukes the wind. You rebuke a person. You don't rebuke a thing. If you're sitting in a chair and you have it slightly tilted back, and you fall, do you get up and do you rebuke the chair? Stupid chair, don't do that again. No. 
But if I am leaning back in my chair and Tyler comes along behind me, exerts force and influence on that chair, and I fall backwards, you bet your bunions I'm going to be rebuking him. The fact that Jesus rebukes says there is a there is an agency behind this storm that is not natural to the storm. There is a spiritual force at play. And so Jesus exercises his authority, and he starts with addressing what's causing the agitation. And he says, you knock it off, before he ever turns to care for the disciples. Disciple, the care of the disciples, that's absolutely a priority. But you don't care for the disciples without first addressing what is threatening them. So Jesus gets up. Knock it off. You don't rebuke somebody quietly. Please stop. Knock it off. Be still. There is something of an authority that he carries that immediately, immediately calms the storm. That agitation, that thing that is producing the fear, that is producing the waves, that is causing the wind, the disruption, immediately stops because Jesus exercised his spiritual authority, and there was a great calm over the waters. The winds that had stirred the surface of the water until the agitation threatened everyone, gone. Water is just water. Circumstances are just circumstances. Whether circumstances are redemptive or dangerous is determined by whatever force is acting upon them. Let me say that to you again. Whether circumstances are dangerous, we're all going to drown, or redemptive, this man in bondage is going to be set free, is determined by whichever force is acting upon them. The water was just water. Just water. And there was a spiritual force that was agitating it and causing the wind and the waves. Sometimes life is hard. And if our enemy is agitating there, we find ourselves in a storm. But when Jesus meets us in that same place, acting upon those same circumstances, we find ourselves at peace. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, why are you so afraid? And I love that that, that two words, or two, two letters, S-O, why are you so afraid? I love that Jesus asked the question that way because it doesn't discount that there is actually some room for natural fear here. They're in a storm after all. But why are you this afraid, he is asking. I said we're going across. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? What does that passage mean? It means it doesn't matter what it looks like or what it feels like. God says my word is the final say in every situation. So if I say we're going across, we're going across. Do you still not have that faith, he's asking his disciples. The development of our faith is progressive. It, it grows over time as we learn to know and to trust God. That's true of every hero in the Bible. Abraham, Moses, David, Gideon, pick your hero. Their faith grows over time as they learn to trust God and see him come through in the middle of their storms. Storms don't break us, church. When God meets us in our storms, storms build us. They build our faith because we see the goodness and the consistency and the dependency of our God. When Jesus says, do you still not have faith, I, I don't really hear him demeaning or rebuking the disciples as much as I hear him alerting them to the fact that here is an opportunity for your faith 
to grow. Storms are going to come, but they won't sink us. In fact, they're often going to have the opposite effect as we see God intervene. So when we see ourselves in a storm, one of the questions that we have to ask is what promise is being threatened by this storm? Jesus said we're going across. That was a promise. The storm came and it threatened that promise. Am I afraid for my future? Is that what is storming around me? Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. Am I, am I fearful about my finances? Will I be able to take care of myself, my family? Philippians 4.19, my God will supply all my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Am I afraid physically for my own safety? Isaiah 32.18, my people will live in peaceful dwelling places, secure homes in undisturbed places of rest. Listen, I can yell and shout and jump and spit about God's promises will not be overcome by the kingdom of darkness. But if we don't know what those promises are, we don't know when they're being challenged. And so if we don't know where they're being challenged, we don't know where to exercise authority, and we find ourselves like the disciples in the boat going, we're going down, and God doesn't care. Pastor Courtney talked last week about hope and about all of the the promises that were being fulfilled. If I don't know the promises that are being fulfilled, I don't get to experience how good God is as he continues to keep his word to me and my faith doesn't grow. And so, because I want us to be a people who dwell in peace, I want us to be a people who are saying together, yes, I have received the peace of God that surpasses understanding. I am living in shalom. I want us in 2024 to be a people of the book. This is why this is why we're doing the 260 journal together. What does scripture say about God? What does scripture say about you and who you are in Christ? God will always speak to chaos and bring it back into order. Always. It's Mark chapter 4. It's the creation story. Jesus did in Mark 4 what he did in Genesis 1. He is the God of order, the God of shalom. He he speaks into it, and it comes. And you follow along in the Gospels, and you're going to discover the disciples are going to learn how to do the same thing. Jesus sends them out two by two. What's he say? Raise the dead, heal the sick, proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand, cast out demons. Exercise your authority over the kingdom of darkness. I'm going to give you three simple things when you find yourself in a storm and you're trying to figure out how do I respond. When you find yourself in a storm and you're going to, step one, identify the source. Is this a natural storm? Life happens hard. Is it an unnatural storm? Is my response healthy or unhealthy? Is this drawing me to Jesus or further away from Jesus? What is, nobody can assess that for you. That's something you assess in your own heart and mind and the Holy Spirit will help you. Is this a spiritual storm? Because if it's a spiritual storm, I need to address it spiritually. 
which is the second thing you do. You speak to the storm. You don't panic and you don't pass out. You don't go to bed and pull the covers over your head hoping it's all going to go by. You do what Jesus Knock it off. Peace. Be still. Quiet. Stop it. Now, Jesus did it by virtue of his own authority. You and I do it by virtue of our authority as his children. Jesus said to his disciples, and through them to you and me as well, that he has given us power and authority to overcome all the power of the enemy. Scripture says nothing will by any means harm you. So when you find yourself agitated in a storm that feels spiritual to you, you simply say, in Jesus' name, stop it. Knock it off. You don't say please. You don't say maybe. You understand that you are a child of the Most High God. And what is true of Jesus, because you were born again, is now true of you. So when hell had to submit to his spoken word as he took authority over it, so must it respond to you the same way as his child. Identify the storm, speak to it, and then trust the outcome to God. Whenever his spirit hovers over the waters, it brings order out of chaos. Here's what I feel like we need to do this morning. I feel like we need to speak to some storms. I feel like some of us are being agitated, harassed, bothered, can't understand why. And it's because there isn't a natural cause. What you're dealing with is something of the Spirit. And the things that are are of the Spirit must be dealt with by the Spirit. That's why Scripture says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're, they're not natural, but they're, they're spiritual. They're divine for the tearing down of strongholds. Now, you may be going, John, I'm not facing a storm. Great. You can exercise your authority on behalf of the person next to you who might be. So I want you to stand to your feet. I said as we opened this morning service, if you were here and we... We start with a song that says, raise a hallelujah, that hallelujah means I boast in God. Jesus says to his disciples, hey, don't get super excited that demons submit to you. Get super excited that your name is written in my book, that I am your Lord and Savior. We boast in the Lord. So we're going to begin to speak the name of Jesus, the name that is above every other name. And if you are facing a storm this morning, I don't want you to sing a song. I want you to declare a truth. I'm going to speak the name of Jesus over whatever it is that I'm facing. I'm going to speak the name of Jesus, and the waves are going to recede. I'm going to speak the name of Jesus, and the wind is going to go down. I'm going to speak the name of Jesus and find myself on the opposite shore, exactly where God was sending me, prepared to do what he was sending me to do. This is what it means to be a people who live in the peace of God. I speak the name of Jesus to every force of hell that would seek to irritate, to agitate, to discourage, or to bring low God's people. I say your power is broken now in Jesus' name. I speak to that storm in Jesus' name, and I say peace. Be still. Peace. Be still. Holy Spirit, in the same way, 
that scripture says a great calm came over the waters. I ask for your presence, your calm, your grace, your love to now soothe every heart, every mind that's been agitated by storming waters, howling winds, or raging seas. Your word says that your peace would remain with us. So we receive your peace, we walk in your strength, and we exercise our authority. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give God a hand. Come on. Come on. Sometimes, after moments like this, I go and I get in the car and I feel like the wind's starting to pick up again. If you feel that, peace, be still in Jesus' name. You speak to the storm because you are a child of the King.